We are the Love Jays, and you're listening to Married Millennials. A conversation about being young, in love, and navigating life one student loan payment at a time. I'm Joy. I'm Justin. Let's get to it. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Married Millennials. Tough week. Really, really tough week. Not just for Joy and I, not just for the black community, but really for everyone who is a citizen of this great nation. It's really been a rough week. Waking up to the headline of Alton Sterling's execution Tuesday morning was heartbreaking, to say the least. I felt sad for his family, sad for the loss of his life, and sad for the rest of us because it it does. It inspires a feeling of hopelessness, that there is nothing you can really do to prevent a public execution if you happen to be a person of color it just it's beginning to feel and it has felt like this a long t- for a long time that there's nothing that Alton could have done differently he could have been somebody different but it feels like he could not have done anything differently anything would have anything he could have done would have resulted in his execution and for me when i read the headlines I was troubled because my initial response was nothing I didn't have an emotion it was one of these things where I was like oh here goes another name another hashtag another black man fall victim to police brutality and it was saddening I was like this is the this is my initial reaction of what I'm feeling like oh here goes another one and I remember tweeting out being outraged and angered and, and upset by it. But the worst part of it was when I concluded my tweet, I simply said, I know in a few months I'll tweet the same message again. And that was the most saddening part of the entire thing is we've been primed almost to know that this is going to happen again. And then I saw the second video friend of ours had sent us the second angle of the shooting and at that point that's where my emotions really just blew all the way up when you see that second angle and you see him clearly lying on the ground and the cop pull out his gun and just fire shots directly into his heart at point blank range that is public execution and for me I just I just felt the weight of the world just land squarely on my shoulders saying, this is the world that we live in. Like, what what was the reason? What caused that? And why does it continue to happen month after month, year after year? Justin mentioned that at the end of his tweet, he noted, the saddest part is in a couple of months, I'll be sending a similar tweet. And not 24 hours later, we're sitting in bed, really processing what's happened to Alton, trying to figure out what this means for us and for our future, um, what we can do to make a positive change. And Justin begins watching a live Facebook video. 
And you know, initially all I saw was a woman panicking and a black man laying in his own blood. He's, you know, sitting there, white t-shirt, blood stained, and the officer's pointing a gun at him. We're saying, you know, what is this? What is this? And of course, I'm talking about Philando Castile. It's really hard to process that this is the world we live in. It's hard to process that our men are being slaughtered on the streets and that there is, again, little that they could have done. Philando Castile and Alton Sterling were both armed in open carry states. Philando also notified the officer that he was carrying and was still shot. And that's the, that's the troubling part is you follow the law, you die. You don't follow the law, you die. And that's almost the, the message that's being sent. So what do you, what do you tell your, your young men? What do I tell my nine-year-old nephew who's watching these videos and, and asking questions? Well, I'm damned if I do and I'm damned if I don't. And that's the hardest part for me as a black man walking through this country is what can I cannot do? Even if I'm if I if I'm right, am I still wrong? Mm-hmm. And that's the that's the scariest part. And and being fully transparent, I understand the the privilege in, in which I have of of being a light skinned male, of being a male who grew up in the suburbs and have and hasn't had to experience living in a city where it has been economically depressed, where the racial tensions between the community and the police are very high where the city just almost feels hopeless because there's no jobs, there's no support, there's no resources. And I feel this as someone who grew up in great privilege, if you look in comparison to the entire black community, the scope, I grew up very privileged and I have this weight of the world on my shoulders and have this this range of emotion, of anger and sadness and frustration. I can only imagine what it's like for those individuals who live in these economically depressed cities. What is it like for them? Every day, this is their reality. And it opens up to a bigger point that the Dallas mayor said at the, the prayer service of the, the slain officers in Dallas, which we'll get to in a second. And Mike Rawlings, he really said it best. He said that we have a race issue in America. And he said, yes, I said race. We don't like to use that word. He said, we as a country have a race issue that we have to address that is still continuing to divide us. Still. 50 plus years after the civil rights movement, we are still having race issues that need to be handled in this country. And regardless if you like it or you want to admit it or not, we do. And we have to attack it hands on. I think it's important that people understand that when we say black lives matter, it is because we 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 need people to remember that black lives matter. It's not that all lives don't matter. We just we're quite literally being slaughtered on the streets. Um, and there were several comparisons to how there was so much outrage over Harambe the gorilla yet you know a black man dies in the only community 
that seemingly outraged, at least publicly so, was the black community. And I wanted to read a... Before you, you, you read that quote, I'm glad you brought up you know, Harambe the gorilla. Because I remember when watching the coverage, there was the question raised on, well, the zoo didn't have to use lethal force. They could have found other ways to save that child without killing the gorilla. That really was used. And anyone knows if it's between an animal and a, and a child living, the animal has to go. Whether the parent was being negligent or the zoo didn't have the proper protocol in place, if a child is endangered by an animal, the, in, the, the human wins. And it's an unfortunate reality. But yet it was brought into question of saying, could they have used different type of force to, to let that child be free? But when you have a black man fall victim to police brutality, that is never brought up. It's never up. How could the police officers could have done anything differently that didn't result into the death of this man? That conversation never comes up. It's always, well, I felt threatened and boom, I shoot. It's never been entertained about what can be done differently to keep these individuals alive. And that is a problem. Well, and I will say, and as much as I hate to say it, in that situation, black people are viewed as the animal. This goes back to the days of slavery where we were being quite literally being depicted as we were just having this conversation as our our features were distorted to resemble those of apes. Caricatures. So, you know, that kind of stuff sticks with you through the information, uh, through the generations, because those teachings, if you will, have never quite been amended, not on a foundational level. You know, maybe in some households, yes, people have been taught people are people and we are going to love everyone. But on a foundational level, as a country, those things have not been amended and we are still suffering those consequences today. Going back to the Black Lives Matter analogy um, that I wanted to share, it was posted by Adam Campbell. I'm not sure he's if he's the original author, but this is the one that's circulating around the web. So he goes on to say, Bob is sitting at a dinner table. Everyone else get a pl- gets a plate of food except Bob. Bob says, Bob deserves food. Everybody at the table responds with, everyone deserves food and continues eating. Although everyone deserves food, Food is a true statement. It does nothing to actually rectify the fact that Bob has no food. And that, in a nutshell, is what we're dealing with here. Nobody's saying not every life matters. It's just we're, we have no plates. We need, we, we have to, we deserve our food too. That's all we're saying. This is not, being pro-Black Lives Matter does not mean you are anti-everybody else. You're right. And unfortunately... Political commentators, social commentators, and friends across different social media platforms you know, like to argue that all oh, Black Lives Matter is this anti-everyone else movement, but it's not. It's to call attention to exactly what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I mean, the facts don't lie. Blacks are disproportionately killed by police than any other group. Blacks are disproportionately arrested and incarcerated than any, more, any other group. We, black America, take up 13% of the population, yet occupy 40% of the prison system. Think about that. That's not an accident. There there are systematic oppressions that have been put in place for decades that have led Mm -hmm. 
to where we are as a country. So the movement in which founded after the Trayvon Martin killing was like, this is becoming too common. Mm-hmm. Every day, there's a, a, a new black man who becomes a hashtag. And mm-hmm. say, we want to call attention to the simple fact that blacks don't feel in the eyes of the law, they matter. Yeah. And if you look back to all the cases, how many of these individuals get off yeah. scotch-free? And these are the names we're hearing. There's thousands that we're not. There's whole communities that are losing people every single day. That were in the, they just haven't made it to social media, or maybe there wasn't a video. There, and even though the video evidence doesn't do much, but again, we're this is a a, a widespread problem um, within our community and in relation with other communities that we desperately uh, need to fix. And by fix, we have to have the conversation. The Dallas shooting mm-hmm. was absolutely awful. Yeah, that was not the way to go about it. Absolutely gut-wrenching. And I was speaking to my friends the afternoon before the shooting happened. I said, I feel like we're on the brink of a civil war. Mm -hmm. I feel like tensions are just becoming so high Mm -hmm. that if things or changes aren't made, something terrible is going to happen. And literally six hours later, the Dallas shooting happens. And I literally just watched that and my heart broke. It broke not only for the families that lost individuals in that shooting, Mm -hmm. but it broke because it was going to be linked to the Black Lives Matter movement, that this peaceful protest was now going to be marred as this evil movement that is anti-police, and immediately you started hearing the rhetoric coming from that. And you can talk to any of us in the black community and they will all say the same thing that you cannot, we cannot solve this problem. We cannot have this conversation resorting to violence in that tragedy. We have to be able to start conversations. We can't let these tragedies continue to divide us without having the conversations. As I said, as Mike Rawlings said, we have an issue about race and having a conversation about race is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But it's better than kill or be killed because that's what the result is of people not understanding each other and thinking, okay, well, if I don't kill them, they're going to kill me. That's We can't live in a state like that. Seven men didn't make it home this week because we have a country that can't talk about it and that can't find a solution for the issues we're having because we can't work together. And I th- that's the thing, too. We're fighting a battle that we cannot fight alone. We need allies. Uh, just like any other civil rights movement, you can't, you can't just have the oppressed group saying, hey, help me, help me. Somebody has to reach down and eventually help. We need help. We cannot do this alone. Uh, nor do we want to do this alone. But I know that no one wants anyone to keep paying for i'm not saying an easily but this this doesn't need to be solved through death we don't need to go to war over it we don't need no one else needs to die we can do this with words we can do this with words and actions that are progressive and it goes back to identifying the problem we have to identify the problem we can't skate around it we can't blame anyone and everyone else and say oh well 
could be this outside factor or it could be that. No. No. Look at it dead in the face. Stare mm-hmm. down the barrel of the gun. Mm-hmm. The issue is race. Mm-hmm. And we have to talk about it. And that requires our non-people of color. That requires people of color to be able to sit down at a table and have open and honest conversation. That's being able to explain and, and understand what's going on. That's what it takes. And I remember when the tragedies in Orlando happened and a friend of ours who was a member of the LGBT community posted a status and said, reach out to your friends in that community because they're hurting. And when I read this status, I was just like, well, I, I, I'm hurting too. I hurt for you. I was able to, to feel that pain and, and see that these 49 individuals were simply murdered only because of their sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. And I felt it. But what I realized that I was still disconnected mm-hmm. from the true experience of what the members of the LGBT community were experiencing after that tragedy. And when members of the black community see another one of their men fall victim to police brutality, it hurts. Mm-hmm. But what is the scariest part is I feel like there is a extreme disconnect for non-people of color when they see that happening. It's like you can't even feel the emotion because you know that that's not you. Yeah. you it's don't not ha- even a possibility. It, it, that'll, I'll never be in that situation. Yeah. It, it's, I can never. That, I wouldn't, that wouldn't happen to me. Not that's not none of my family. That's none of my your, friends. Yeah. And that's the problem. It's like we have to be able to make that connection. Mm-hmm. We all made the connection to the Dallas shooting. Mm-hmm. All of us did. Mm-hmm. We, can, we all have friends or family or know someone who was in law enforcement. Mm-hmm. We immediately made that connection and felt universal pain when, uh, when, when those officers were slain. Mm-hmm. But I said, William, when members of the black community are slain in such a horrific fashion and justice is not served. It feels like... It's just being shrugged away. That pain is real. Mm-hmm. So I, as as our friend did in that in in his status, I, I encourage you to reach out if you really, really do care about all lives matter. If you believe in that all lives matter notion, then when when there are, are, are friends or people in your community who are hurting, reach out to them. Be willing to have that conversation. And say, hey, you know, how, how are you doing? And we can even take this one step further. If you recall when the attacks on Paris happened, when the attacks in Belgium happened, there was a, a cry around the world to stand with these countries. We were changing our, our social profile pictures. We were pray for Paris. We were putting everything out. It was a world cry, rightfully so. Okay, an, an attack on on any of our of our of our of our fellow humans is attack on humanity, and we should feel moved in a way um, to 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 pray for them, to stand with them, to help in any way possible. But I found it saddening and disheartening when those same attacks on Istanbul at the airport or at Iraq, the deadliest of all of the killings of ISIS this year, two hundred plus people killed in Baghdad. There was no social outcry for these cities. Why is that? Is it because our, our, our greater community can't relate? They can't see ourselves like our, 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 our brothers in, in Turkey or our brothers in Iraq? 
but we can see our, ourselves and in, in, in our fellow Europeans? Why is that? You may not, may not think heavily about it, but, but the truth is this is what we're talking about, about the disconnect, is if we can't put ourselves in the shoes of someone else, we just stand there in silence and say, oh, well, it can't relate to me, so it must not be a problem. Yeah, not just someone else, everyone else. Everyone. Mm-hmm. And attacks on humanity affect all of us. And we all have to strive to improve this country. We have to. And it's going to be uncomfortable. It's not fun. It's tough. It's difficult. But we have to be willing to do that. I I will stand here right now and say as a, a freshman in college, I was homophobic. I simply did not like a group of individuals because of their sexual orientation. I didn't understand it. I didn't get it. And because I didn't understand it, I didn't like it. I was judgmental, I was rude, I made inappropriate comments, and I was okay with that. I was okay living in my ignorance. Until when? Until when I started meeting people of the LGBT community. Until when I was able to have productive conversations and, and, was, and was able to acknowledge and understand to see where I was at and realize that this, this hate and this ignorance that lived inside of me was an issue that I needed to address. And through years of conversations and understanding and developing friendships with people, I went from a homophobe to an ally. Mm -hmm. And the only way to do that is to have conversations, is to get out there and connect. I didn't want to do it. I was like, oh, you're different than me. You're gay? Mm -hmm. Fuck that. Mm -hmm. I'm not a part of that. Mm -mm, Don't like you. But who am I? Who am I? Who was I to take that stance? I had to make a commitment to say, you know what, Justin, your, your beliefs are wrong. And I had to challenge those beliefs and put myself in uncomfortable situations and learn from others. But as you learn from others, you grow. And as you grow, you can help other people grow. And that's what we have to do in this same situation. Well, thank you for sharing that. I, I don't even I didn't know that those feelings ran that deep for you back then. I mean, obviously I knew you back then and I did recognize a change but I didn't realize it was so drastic Um, so thanks for sharing that and back to being an ally and what that means I I, because it is uncomfortable I think to reach out uh, when you don't know what to do you want to help but you don't know how and I think a very good way is is to ask say how can I help you what can I do to support you and I think it's as simple as that. And and often people will tell you and then listen to what they're saying. Sometimes people just need to be heard. Maybe they will need you to take action. Being an ally is being right there next to someone. And although you're not having the same experience, being a means of support for somebody who is living a different life than you. Another way to be a great ally is instead of being upset when you hear the black community speak out about certain things, really listen to what they're saying. For example, Jesse Williams' speech sparked a lot of outrage, but listen to or really dissect why maybe he's saying the things that he does. Is there any truth in it? And and often you find that, hey, there is. If you step outside of your box and see the world through the lens of another group, you'll often see that what they're speaking is the truth and you may be in a 
position to help rectify some of those issues. So take advantage of those things. If if somebody sparks a conversation and it makes you uncomfortable, you know, have your moment, but then dive in, dive in and really see where you can insert yourself to be of help. And I want to say while inserting yourself, ask, because I think another thing that people in privileged positions do is say, okay, this is how I'm going to help you. And it's not necessarily how that community needs to be helped. They'll let you know. Listen. It's it's the most important part of what you said is asking, is we have to ask questions. Mm -hmm. We have to be able to realize, hey, I don't, I don't really know or understand these things, but help me understand. Mm -hmm. Why do you have this anger? What, what message was he trying to send? I, I, I need help. It's okay to ask questions, but we can't sit in, in, in silence and hope that something is going to happen. I, I, I read a beautiful exchange on Twitter. It was it was just after the Philando Castile news had came down. And a black man was sitting at a restaurant watching the news. And there was a white family that was having breakfast next to him. And the young boy had asked to say, Mom, what's, what's going on with this? Like every other week, it seems like they're just killing another black man. And the mom became visibly bothered by the statement. Mm-hmm. And the black gentleman just kind of tuned in and, and the son brought up another comment. And then at that point, she had said, you know, son, maybe this is not the, the right time to talk about it. And the black man interjected and said, no, we, we need to talk about it. You know, clearly, you know, your son has questions that, that he needs answers. Mm-hmm. And we need you to help facilitate that conversation. Mm-hmm. And yes, it's uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but that goes back to Joy's point of the allies. We can't be the only ones that are having these conversations. And the the exchange concluded with the young boy giving up, getting up and, and giving the, the black man a hug and the mom was brought to tears. And for me, it was just a powerful moment because in that, in that small moment, that family, they may have never had an interaction like that. But to say, you know what? Me just listening to my son and trying to make sense of what he is seeing me providing some support and some structure of saying, you know what, son? Yeah, there, it, it's a, it's unfortunate. There is a problem. I, I don't understand why. Not shutting down the idea of saying, oh no, well, I can't. I don't. I don't know anything about it, so we're not going to talk about it. We can't dismiss issues as if they never happened. Just like our country likes to dismiss our wrongdoings, like it never happened. Like, oh, slavery was 150 years ago. Get over it. Oh, segregation was 50 years ago. Now you guys can do whatever you want. We have a black president in in, in the office. We live in a post-racial society. We like to just dismiss these notions, but mm-hmm. we can't dismiss these notions. Mm-hmm. We have to continue recognize and understand that this is still an ongoing problem. There's no magical button that you press and all of a sudden it, it goes away. Everything's okay. Yeah. You have to deal with things. Uh-huh. Come, let's put it into a, a, a relationship standpoint. If you're dating someone and, and you step out, there's a, a, a rebuilding process that has to happen. And you guys can continue to rebuild and rebuild and rebuild that trust. But I guarantee you, your partner's never going to forget when you stepped out on them. That doesn't mean that they don't love you, that they don't trust you, but there's a part in them that is going to be forever burdened from the past. We can't just act as if things didn't happen. They're going to have an impact on how we navigate. Mm-hmm. And we have to be able to, to, to sit in that discomfort and navigate accordingly. We'd like to dedicate this episode to Alton Sterling, Philando Castile, Brent Thompson, 
Michael Kroll, Patrick Zimmeripa, Lauren Ahrens, and Michael Smith. Those are seven men who lost their lives this week, seven men who aren't going home, and hopefully seven men who can inspire us all to continue a conversation that desperately has to happen between races in households in schools even from the ground up let's rebuild and let's truly make this a happy and wonderful and peaceful place to live thank you guys again for tuning in to another episode of married millennials be sure to subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends and most importantly to go off what joy said let's continue this conversation connect with us on social media write with us we'd love to facilitate dialogue not just on these conversations but on all conversations it's healthy and that's the only way we can truly grow and develop and learn as people is to have conversations head over to lovejays.com you'll see all of our social media icons right there at the top of the page we truly thank you guys for your support and may those seven individuals who lost their lives rest in peace